don't hate this. <laughs> Welcome to I Don't Hate This, the Avantis Guard podcast. I'm Nina Lidoff. And I'm Eric Wenzel. Welcome. Joining us today is no one. <laughs> <laughs> As usual. Because why would you need anyone other than us? Questions that answer themselves. <laughs> Anyways, hi, welcome um, to talk about art and things like that. Eric, what are we going to talk about today? Uh, well, but but first, well, tell us what we're going to talk about, and then we'll you know do our whole thing. We're going to talk about the disasters of art. Yeah. Stay tuned. We sure are. Welcome back. Do you mean by disasters? Do you mean like what a disaster that was awful looking? Uh, do you mean by disasters? Do you mean, do you mean what a disaster? Yes, but what? <laughs> do you mean like really ugly art that never should have been made? Like a lot of art that I can think of. No, that's what I spent yesterday talking about. <laughs> that's what we usually talk about. But today we're going to talk about art that got broken. That got broke. Um, and I'll I'll explain the title a little bit more when we get to that. But first, oh sorry. But first we have our Christopher Williams update. We were supposed to yell at, like, Christopher Williams update! <laughs> the Chicago Bears have released kick returner Christopher Williams to make room for veteran place kicker Jay Feely to a one-year contract on the roster. Christopher, who goes by Chris, has been dealing with a hamstring injury, but he's feeling a lot better now that he's not on the Bears. All right. So uh, maybe he can get back to taking pictures. Do we have any fan mail? Let's open our let's open our mail bag. It's a rusty bag, which sounds like a sex move from junior high. Ew. We know like in junior high they're always like, oh. Like you have those silly bands and like each one different color, like is a thing that you did. Oh, are we gonna pick up because what was there was this one time we were talking about uh, the differences in Jewish summer camp and uh, Christian summer camp. Yeah. And you made uh, potholders. And <laughs> I mean, everyone in Jewish summer camp hooked up, if that's what you're implying. Oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, so you would have you actually had would have found use for the, the savior bracelets that we made at Christian camp. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you told me about Which that. Which is you take a strip of leather that sometimes you see as like a tie on a moccasin or a slipper. or a, You know, it's like a strip of suede-ish leather. Not Swedish, but Swedish leather. You uh, tie a knot. You put a series of beads and you tie another knot. And then you have a bracelet. And it lets people know that you're Christian and or a slut. <laughs> or uh, the same. That's the same thing, right? No, wait. Yeah. Oh, am I going to lose a lot of listeners suddenly? Oh, yes. Uh, well, because they had the the beads, which which are gold, white, black, red, gold yellow. stands for the gold that the baby Jesus received. Uh, no, his birth. no, that's the <laughs> gift that's more precious than gold, which is eternal life. White is the purity of soul. Black is white is the snow for Christmas time. White is black is the coal for the bad children. Red is for Santa. Green is for the Christmas tree. Uh, no. <laughs> That's my only understanding of Christianity this time of year. Yeah, well, I've got news for you. Christianity is 365 days a year. <laughs> you would know because Christian is your middle name. It's not, though. It's it Louis. is. Everybody look it up. His name is actually Eric Christian Wenzel. Your middle name that is- That joke is truth. Your middle name is Fartface. <laughs> 
<laughs> but it's P-F-A-R-T-P-H-A-C-E. Anyway, no, we had we had lots of hookups. This is so at Jew yeah. camp too. I J- promise. Ju- Wait, did you say Jew camp? You Jew camp also. Oh, two. Oh, oh. Um. Um. No, well, I don't know. Well, they called it purpling. Did you guys call it that? Because um, they're like everyone knows if you mix pink and blue, which are the colors of boy and girl, you get purple. And I was like, I don't think you might get some sort of like. <laughs> blue violet um actually and they're like we had a that l- art kid is gay <laughs> and he likes purple he likes different shades of purple um no uh we actually had a talk from our director and he he called it refrigerators and magnets and sometimes they like to stick together like my wife's the size of a refrigerator Ugh. and he was trying to get us to unstick a little bit mm-hmm. i had a particularly active cohort uh, of course i was not included because i was that art kid no uh wait um, so wait well, here's my question um what were you supposed to focus on instead like uh just like having fun and being a kid what do you mean oh and, like well because at christian camp not i mean I always wonder what they like try to pressure you guys to focus on because at Christian camp you're supposed to take all of your sexual, well, just all Christianity, especially as a child, as an adolescent, you're supposed to focus all of your sexual energy and frustration towards doubting in yourself, second guessing your natural instincts, and glorifying Jesus Christ. But well, in Judaism, you don't have Jesus, so like, what are you supposed to be like focusing on instead of? Like being, refrigerators and magnets. Like being a good member of the community and like, you know, Social loving practice. each other but not like that. Wink and <laughs> yeah, I don't. Jews don't not like sex. You're supposed to, you know. Why well, was Lutheran? I mean, they're allowed to. Their pastors can be married and everything. That's true. They just can't like it. <laughs> well, yeah, they just don't want to. I mean, it wasn't really a religious thing that they were like, don't do this. It was like a, you know, you're at camp, you should be making friends and like going boating and not like making out and then getting mad. And then so-and-so made out with this person, even though they weren't supposed to. And, you know, fighting and then girls getting all upset and so on and so forth. You know, camp. So anyway, um, fan mail. (laughs) That was a good segue. All right. Um, Dear, I don't hate this. It's not a parental horror story, but I do have a traumatic childhood art story to share. In kindergarten, I was coloring in some grass with a blue crayon. My teacher came up to me and said, grass is not blue, and tore up my paper. I grew up in Kentucky. Signed, TM. Yeah, that's a good one. Thanks, thanks, TM. (laughs) Do you want to tell us the significance of why you think that's so funny? Because it happened in Kentucky, and Kentucky is known for its blue grass, so it seems like the one place, <laughs> one place in America that you could uh, uh, color the grass blue and still be accurate. I just, I just want to point out to our listeners that when Eric read this email, he was just like laughing so hard because he thought it was apparent. He was like, "Get it, get, Kentucky! Yes, it's and Kentucky!" I was like, I, I and don't then you're like, "We're it. gonna need to explain it," and I was like, "You can't explain a joke." But it's not a joke. It's it's a tragedy. It is. It's like that. Kids, don't don't let your teachers yell at you. It's true. And I was trying to 
tell well, as a Eric. teacher, you shouldn't. Yeah, you shouldn't say that. But I just like to me, I thought on top of that, that that's the most brilliant thing is that it happened in Kentucky. Where you're getting lucky. I was trying to tell Eric about and that's what you were thinking. The, the Tommy DiPaola book where his his teacher won't let him paint because only I feel like we keep telling this story like there's a viewer that we're like a we, listener. There is. No, there is a listener, but that we're like both of us are expecting there's a listener that's going to agree with us. Like the listeners agree and with we, me. I just can't they see them around the me. microphone. They're going to be like, oh, yeah, I read that Tommy Paola book. Yeah. It's all about working hard for the money and getting some of that sweet Paola. <laughs> well, the point is, is that and his teacher won't peyote let him. Or eating his, it. I don't know how you take it. I don't either. We're nerds. Peyote should not be taken internally. <laughs> his teacher won't let him use the paints because he's a kindergartner and the paints are only for first graders. Oh. Etc. Nice. Well, it's like the here's my plug already. Uh, the story that Stephen Kaltenbach, uh, renowned conceptual artist who quit the art world as a life performance and then recently returned, he was always he kept saying like, "Oh, it's I'm a gonna... pointless life performance." No, would you read what he has to say? Read okay. it. Okay, I'll read it. It really makes sense. No, it's so. Um, but he's telling a story. You know, he keeps saying stuff like, "Well, I would leave the art world." And I, you know, it's, I figured. You know, I know like art writers are interested in this stuff and they, there'll be people that'll be interested in figuring it out and writing about it. And he just kept like assuming that if he quit, people would care. And I was like, where did you get this confidence? <laughs> I wouldn't I'm like, because I'm trying to make people care now. And I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> um, Neither of us are going anywhere. Yeah. Um, just like our worried. careers. <laughs> okay. No, but this. So his his opposite story of of. Maybe he was the other student in the Tommy Paola story. But he said when he was in kindergarten or something at the end of the school year, the teacher was, it was like the last day of school. And she like had everyone. She's like, pay attention. Then she got everyone's attention in class and she pulled out a tablet of watercolor paper and a set of watercolor paints. And she said, when someone's going to be a great artist, it only makes sense to give them the right supplies. And then she had him come up in front of the class. What? And do you think him- he became an artist because of that? Or do you think that she was just like the large levels of genius that, you know, I think, great well, art? I think he was already an artist. Cause he also said that, that he kind of always knew he was an artist. Yeah. But not everyone can, like you might know that. But- I did. You, when you were in kindergarten, you knew you were an artist? I, I always, I have a distinct memory when they're like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I remember being something like, well, I could be an artist because sometimes I want to be a football player and sometimes I want to be a baseball player or whatever. But if you're an artist, you can like draw all those pictures. <laughs> I said I wanted to be a ballerina dentist. Wow. At the same time. I didn't, I didn't you fulfill didn't that dream. Either. I could never be a dentist. Like teeth are gross. <laughs> And I'm way too fat to be a ballerina. So. Oh. Okay. Uh, so viewer man. Oh wait, we already went over that. Um. Yeah. So disasters. Okay. So. <sighs> so I'll tell it in chronological order. We have, I guess there's. So we have three stories, possibly more, because you've been doing some research. Mm-hmm. Um. So about disasters. About, well, I can. I guess I'll tell so the problem is that my my story I'm going to tell one and then you'll tell one and then I'll tell one but my last one is the one that explains why I called it disasters of art. Okay, well, but the point I mean, we have a couple of stories of stuff that we've witnessed that have happened to us. But there's also lots of uh, you know, famous stories of art getting broken. 
And I guess I should mention that there was one just this weekend. Uh, the art didn't get broken this weekend, but the guy was convicted. This guy, um, now I wish I had written down which museum and where, whatever, in the UK, punched a Monet painting. And I was like, was it Eric? <laughs> just kidding. Why Why do you think, like... <laughs> I got news for you. I'm not the only one that's like wants to punch a Monet. (laughs) Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't recommend it because that guy's okay. Okay, fight, fuck, or marry Monet. Fight clearly. So what's the? Wait, you have to give me three choices. Okay. No, like you know, are we playing marry, fuck, kill? I thought it was fight, fuck, or marry. No, it's marry, fuck, kill, and you have to pick three people, and then you have to choose which one to do which of each. What an unfortunate last name, marry, fuck, kill. (laughs) Wait, so should this be so just impressionist? Impress- sure, yeah. Uh, Renoir. Uh, I'm trying to think of some like deep cuts. Um, oh shit, who's that guy? Pizarro. I knew you were going to say that. That's the only deep cut impressionist that there is. Yeah, because they're all like really surface and fluffy. Ugh. Um,. I can't. I know there's American Impressionists, but I can't. Mary Cassatt. No, no, like ones that like only ever were in America. Oh no, you can't do all deep cuts. Uh, and then, hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Just pick. There's like a bunch. Just pick one. Wait, what's another? Well, I guess you get to pick pick three for me. So we've we've got Renoir, Pizarro, and. Uh, yes, from from the first row. Oh, I thought someone was raising their hand, but they were stretched. All right. Um, I can't now. I can't. You think can't of think of a third impressionist. Well, you'd say Manet, but he sort oh, of yeah, he okay. strides. He stands That's astride. Impressionist. That's fine. I will marry Manet. Uh. Fuck Pizarro. I don't really know that much about him. And kill Renoir because he's the worst. Really? I hate him. Yeah, I hate him a lot. Um, he ruined Impressionism for everyone. No, I think that's Gustav Kaibot. He's not really Impressionist <laughs> either, though. Not really. He was a trust fund boy. Did you know that? No. He was totally independently wealthy, and he was just like, oh, I love the water on these cobblestones. Let me make a masterpiece. Mm. I like that one. I like the rain. Yeah, I like that picture. I don't. I don't know about any of his other ones. I don't know. Well, he has that paint. That painting. It's like a severed pig, a severed sheep's head, and a, like a tongue from a cow. It was very different than anything else. So, I, I I'll take your word for it. So, what am I doing? Okay, Degas, Maricassat, and um. Come on, come on, Jesus! I think know, of right? Something. It's hard to think of three things. <laughs> I shouldn't have been so critical of you. Well, because everyone I was thinking of, I was like, uh, well. Monet. But we did. But Monet was the guy that got punched in England. <laughs> okay. What about, do, do you count dots as Impressionism? What? Oh, Seurat? He's post-Impressionist, but we'll have him because I had a post-Impressionist, too. Who? I had a pre-impressionist. Yeah, I told you, Manet stands astride. What about what about Cezanne? Oh no, definitely not impressionism. Well, why don't I give you all post-impressionists? Okay. Okay, Cezanne, Seurat, and Van Gogh. 
uh, wait, can I fuck their paintings? No. Or? <laughs> it's both. You, it's, because Syrah has this really hot painting of these, like, I don't know, cabaret girls dress, uh, dressing and undressing. But they're, like, in a room with Lagrangeot hanging in it. So he's got Whoa. a pointless painting of a room with Lagrangeot in it. And I would fuck the shit out of that painting. <laughs> and I would do it on Van Gogh's bed. <laughs> And I don't remember the first guy I had. Um, I mean, I just said it. It was Cezanne. Don't marry Cezanne. He was kind of troubled. Okay, we're getting away from this okay. now again. So, um, so don't punch, don't punch any paintings, even if you don't like. Did them. he break it? Yeah, he punched a hole right through it. I think they repaired it. Right, like pow, right in the haystack. Well, what happened was he's like. When he initially got arrested, he was like, I don't know. I was just feeling woozy. And then they found this security footage and he made a fist before he fell on top of it. So he was convicted. Apparently, they only deliberated for 90 minutes before convicting him. So he was guilty. So apparently you can be convicted by footage. (laughs) Ouch. Um, Too soon. No, not soon enough. True. Uh, So... So the idea of art, well, we'll get to it because it's the third story. So this is just what us, what us artists call foreshortening. <laughs> um, the Disasters of Art is a riff on a title of a series of etchings by Goya called The Disasters of War. And that will figure significantly in, and that will figure in significantly into our third story tonight. Okay. So why don't you tell us our first story? Our first story on... Uh, I don't hate this. <laughs> okay, there's no first story because Eric's laughing too much. That is the first. Well, because I was like, oh my god! Suddenly we have this in a we have this American Rife style trilogy of three stories tonight. Okay, except they are one. they are Act One. Except they are all actually related. And when you hear the topic of art disasters at the end, you won't be like, that's the fucking worst title for those three stories. Um. <laughs> So uh, there are lots of great stories of art being destroyed on purpose or by accident. Uh, But what I think makes better storytelling is if it's an eyewitness account, as you will hear tonight from three. Well, no, two witnesses and three stories. (laughs) Um, Because you can find lots of like funny stories on the Internet, like the woman Mm -hmm. that kissed the Cy Twombly for some reason. Or the kid uh, that laid on top of the Donald Judd. And you said you figured out that was a falsehood? No, I don't think... I'm not sure if it was. All I know is that the Art Institute acquired a Donald Judd last year. And now and it has big signs that says, <laughs> no laying on it. Yeah, and, no, it's really heavily armed. So if you get close to it at all, like just to look at it, it's like, beep! That kinda don't make, lay on me! That kind of makes sense, though, for a minimalist sculpture. Like I would want to hear like an electronic tone. Because I kind of imagine if it's quiet enough, you could hear Donald Judd is like always going like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you get closer, it's like, uh, like in two thousand one when they get closer to the monolith, which is like a giant John looks- McCracken sculpture. Actually, John McCracken, the minimalist, the left coast minimalist, his shit looks exactly like two thousand one. Two thousand one. If it was leaning against a wall. <laughs> <laughs> but that one, you get closer to the minimalist sculpture. And it, that was made in, what, 1969? 68. 68, thank you. Um, that was Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was right at the height, 
height of minimalism. Mm. Um, but the sound minimalist sculpture, according to Stanley Kubrick, makes is. And that's like the closer you're getting to it. I would imagine it makes that sound like when a TV is on, but it's not playing anything. It's just like. Oh, yeah. I can hear the TV when it does that. I don't. Can you hear that with digital, though? Maybe I'm not. being told no. That was <laughs> Philo old. Farnsworth. We're not that old. Um, okay. So, so anyway, just... there's something nice about having like a personal account because it is one of those things where it's like you read about it or there's this one picture I found. <laughs> it's a pretty hilarious picture. So I'll see if I still have it saved on my hard drive of this. Like, cause you read this story and then you're like, how could that possibly be? And there was this one of this guy, like there was this like stairway in a museum and it, it like, they literally had like, because it's so cheesy or it's such a stereotype that came true. They were like, Ming Dynasty vases, like on platforms along the stairway, <laughs> where people could and this guy up. like literally fell down the stairs and like broke every single one of them. <laughs> and then there's like a security footage of him like with one leg out, the other one up, and he's like rubbing his head because it hurts. Oh my and god! And there's like broken vases. <laughs> they were asking for that. Yeah, um, not so- like those. Do you, should I tell them about the Iway Way vases? Yeah, yeah. They're um, another art disaster that I. I remember reading about that was last year was in this museum in Miami. There was Ai Weiwei's vases, and on one wall was the picture of Ai Weiwei, the Chinese artist, smashing an ancient Chinese vase because he's you know saying he's iconoclastic and and he's rejecting the past. Well, know, I think he's also talking about the way that the Chinese government is, is destroying, destroying Chinese history, artifacts, yeah, and um, and also free speech, yeah. And then in front of it was a bunch of those same vases that he had dipped in colored paint. And some idiot <laughs> came in and grabbed one of them and smashed it on the floor in protest of... So actually, when you of think I about it... Well, when you think about smashing one of those, that's actually kind of poetic because you're doing it in front of him smashing it. I mean, I think it would be a poetic statement if he was protesting like, I don't know, art commodification or... I don't know, gallery Or if it's like plant rights and he's like, leave them in the ground. Don't put them in (laughs) vases. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I like, you know, or like the sale of antiquities or I, you Mm -hmm. know, there's like a lot of things that you could say. I think it would still be like a terrible thing to do and a dick move. But, you know, that that could be an action. But instead, this the reason this guy did it was because he was mad that this museum was showing international artists instead of local Miami artists. Oh, actually, that's pretty fucking cool. <laughs> no, it's fucking terrible. No, it is. Like, I know. That's oh. why. Well, you know me. I like bad things. I know. <laughs> um, Eric doesn't hate that. <laughs> I mean, it's stupid, but I mean, I mean you yeah. should never destroy someone's art unless it deserves to die. Uh <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a problem about doing poetic things because the people that destroy it are always like, like fucking nobodies, and they're kind of crazy. Right, they don't. They do that, and then they're like, "Oh, they're a disgruntled artist," or you know, they're like. And basically, what Ai Weiwei said about it was like, "Well, that was a stupid message." Like, basically, <laughs> if he had, if it had <laughs> been like a really good message, I would have been like, "Fair." Fair enough. You got me. <laughs> I stand corrected. And then he was also basically like, "Well, there's nothing you can do. It's already broken." I like I that. I'll he didn't get dip mad. another vase. Yeah, he didn't get mad. He was just like, whatever. And apparently the guy in, so, you know, he know, you have to know that he knew what those were. But in then, like, subsequently after he was caught and, like, in his defense, he was like, I thought it was just, like, a regular flower pot like you'd get at Home Depot. Yeah, but you can't go to Home Depot smashing their pots. 
not unless you pay for them. And this pot was like worth more than upwards of $1 million. So what I would be interested in is if, cause there's a lot of antiquities and they're actually not that valuable in terms of market, you know, that's mm, cause it's, it's whatever's most popular at the time. Right. So I'd be interested if you were like, did Ai Weiwei add or decrease value by dipping those in color? Add, because contemporary art is the most expensive kind of art. Is it? Modern and contemporary. I think so. Right now. Uh, that Georgia O'Keeffe sold for $33 million. That's nothing. The Francis Bacon sold for $240 million. Maybe it was $300 million. No. I don't remember. It was the most expensive work sold by a female artist. Oh, so it probably was $33 Fuck you. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just that's George how Keith rules. Okay. I'm not saying she sucks. I'm saying that's probably the price disparity in the auction yeah, records. I know. All right. Uh, tell your story. Okay. So this one time, <laughs> we've just been building up to telling these stories, and now I'm like, I mean, my story. It's showtime. <laughs> Spit um, it. So, the year 2003. Oh, I'm there. You're there. We, the yeah, world that was, was the year of my bat mitzvah. Ah, uh, when you couldn't be in, uh, what do we talk? What do you talk? The music band. Yes, I, I couldn't be in the music man because I had to I had to prep for my bat mitzvah. The play was the same weekend as my bat mitzvah. And then you screwed up and sang Gary Indiana. <laughs> Instead of my ceremony. Torah portion. <laughs> Oi. Oi. If ever there was a time to say that. But this is the Midwest, so it brought the house down. Yeah. You're like, I killed... Killed. Um, the year 2003, the world was waiting with bated breath for Hail to the Thief, the latest studio effort from Radiohead. The place. So uh, I went to the Guggen- Where was the place? <laughs> the Guggenheim. The Goog. The Googs. Uh, That's the Goog- in New York City, for those of you who don't. Who do you think is fucking listening to this podcast? I, you know, some people. I'm an art aficionado. Oh, thank God. I know that I weigh waste Chinese now. <laughs> <laughs> it's my way or the I way. <laughs> I, I, I try. I watched that um, movie about I way way like documentary, and then I was like, oh, I should follow him on Twitter. What a like really cool thing to do. And then all his tweets were Chinese. Chinese. I follow him on Twitter. And he tweets like every, every five day. minutes. I'm trying to remember what I did start following because he was like always t- show putting pictures of him installing shit though. So that was cool. Like he would just be mm. tweeting while he was installing. And I was trying to remember. It was like there was some stupid, meaningless pop culture event taking place. Like it was either the Oscars or some scandal or something. And so everyone in my Twitter feed was like talking about like maybe they were live tweeting the Oscars. And then there was all these tweets from Ai Weiwei. And then I just tweeted at him (laughs) that I'm. I can't read Chinese, so I just imagine he's also complaining about the Oscars. (laughs) And then like. Then no, but someone out like one of his followers from China like retweeted me and then like explained in Chinese the joke. Um, I'm sure it was more complex and nuanced. It was, yeah. Although, it was, it was, did you know it's illegal to make puns in China now? I didn't, but I heard recently that you can't fist anyone in pornography in the UK. I know you can't have any face sitting or spanking either. Right. You can watch it because you can watch whatever kind of porn you want. But you can't make it. I think, I mean, I think that there should be like a Mitt Romney style protest saying that this is just going to ship porn, UK porn shops overseas. (laughs) (laughs) 
They're like, you're you're killing our industry. America has enough porn. Thanks, jobs. Obama. You're killing our industry, our UK porn. Um so I was at the Guggenheim in two thousand three at the the Matthew Barney's Cremaster Cycle retrospective where uh the third and final, although the like he shot it out of order either because he's an artist or because he's poor very poor artist matthew barney he's like always shooting on a shoestring budget um no the story of the crumb masters is uh it's that thing that makes your balls go up and down what are you talking i literally can't oh my god okay do you know who matthew barney is um maybe what are you kidding (laughs) bjork's ex uh-huh. The former Mrs. Bjork, um, video artist, performance artist, uh, gained prominence in the 1990s. Why are you Googling him right now? No. Are you just like checking your Twitter or something? No, I think. Okay. Okay, I you guys, to... I have to say something. Put your fucking device down. No, I have. This... I've had it. I've, I'm tired. I, every time I teach a class, I'm having critiques. I'm lecturing. Everyone's looking at their goddamn fucking phones. And now my fucking co-host is like, Instagram. No, I have this. Yeah, yeah. keep telling your story. It's great. Dear podcast, (laughs) I'm tweeting at me. No, I have this vague memory that your first tweet ever is. Oh, I Weiwei has one of these, so I guess I'll join Twitter. Oh, so you're checking my tweet right now. Uh, but you tweet so much. You have like 1,500 tweets. I have to scroll through all of them. Uh, in the meantime, you're telling your story. And I'm like, oh, my God, when is this going to happen? It's just for one stupid joke. Oh, and I no. know what my friend's first tweet is. I can't believe my first tweet is about Nick Africano. And then everyone's like, who's Nick Africano? <laughs> and then he's like, oh, some loser painter from the 70s. It was really good. Now he does like ceramics or glassware or something. Um, I can't believe that either. I can't. Uh so anyway, as I so as as you check the tweets and I continue. Go on. So uh, yeah, explain Matthew Barney, I would say also is one of the artists responsible for ushering in super high production value ideas about art that have not one of the only ones, but I would say like contemporaneously, currently. Uh I would say him and Jeff Koons, at least in my opinion, are like really responsible for this Really slick, like, really production. slick, huge, basically turning the artist into a production company or the artist into a brand, mm-hmm. but in a bad way. Not like, oh, Andy Warhol, that's an interesting comment, but in a brand in the sense where you're like, fuck Nike. You like just make a bunch of stuff that mm-hmm. you could like bags and or no, maybe. No, actually, I would say something like Martha Stewart or something. So there is a person. And then part of the image is that 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 she is this like quaint homemaker doing this stuff, but really there's this like huge. She's like a the Martha Stewart industrial complex. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, Jeff Koons is this artist, or Matthew Barney is this artist, but he's got all kinds of money and production company and DPs and ADAs and wait, no, that's Law Order. <laughs> he's got directors of photography mm-hmm. and assistant district attorneys <laughs> and crime scene investigation units. Um, the other thing he was also criticized for, I'm not particularly an expert on it, but I just know the criticism. Uh, he sort of co-opted a lot of gay imagery or a lot of gay mm. iconography in his performances. And Is he gay? No. Mm. That's why he got in trouble. Yeah. 
Um, so one of so like coming out of like grad school or so, he was also a male model. Um, Sexy. He worked with Derek Zoolander. <laughs> Blue Steel. Football player. He also, uh, well, some of his first works were about this uh, L.A. Raiders or I guess Oakland Raiders. They were in L.A. and they're back in Oakland. Uh, but this guy named Otto Shaft. Um. So yeah, so like sort of uh, certain masculine things. So like uh, football. Although I think there there is a valid critique to like bring up masculinity in football and how there's like homoerotic tones. Um, S and M stuff like that. Uh, he uh, so one of his first performances at the Marion Goodman Gallery. Uh, he like was naked in a, in some sort of harness that was also connected to his anus in some way, <laughs> um, scurried across the ceiling Ew. and like drew stuff. Oh, it was called drawing restraint. And then the final one was him and Bjork where they turn into whales at the end, not star Trek four <laughs> <laughs> where they save the whales. Yeah. It turns out that it turns out that star Trek four, they saved Bjork and, uh, Matthew Barney. So star Trek five, they go back into the future and kill them. <laughs> Oh my god. Um, okay, so what happened to you at the Guggenheim? I don't know, is, is that a good enough description yeah, I have of a, Matthew I have Barney? a clear picture in my head, and we'll he, probably put some stuff on the Tumblr. Yeah, that people can check. I out. was really into him when I was younger, but it's sort of you know it's sort of like one of those cool bands, and you get older, and you're like, fuck them. <laughs> That's how you feel about everything, though. I kind of like the things I like. I like the thing. I still like. Uh, almost said I still like you too, and I've never liked them because I <laughs> Ew, almost compared him. Gross. No one likes them. I almost compared him to you too, but he doesn't try. At least he's not a do-gooder. Because um, <laughs> that would be the worst thing that you. That could is be. the worst when you're like, I am God. I don't. Um, I think that was. I don't think that was Bono. I think that was John Lennon. No, he's no. Not. He was bigger than Jesus. No, the and Beatles and are bigger never than mind, Jesus. Never mind. Uh, all right, all right. We're already. We're already. Okay. Please tell your story because I want to tell mine. And it... yeah. Well, I didn't know I was going to be giving a lecture on the history of Matthew Barney's work. Well, you just had to give a short overview. So he's a performance video artist. Um, so the series he had been working on for years that he gained notoriety doing was Creme Master. Also, you know. Um, so they were a series of films and the first ones are kind of crappy and they were shot out of order because the story is, you know, allegedly he's like, okay, I could produce this one. It doesn't have as much necessary to be done as this other one. Um, and I would say they are pretty cool. Well, the later ones, the later ones that are like produced by actual filmmakers, not the artist <laughs> himself, <laughs> the ones where he has real cinematographers and real, uh, set decorators and that kind of thing. Yeah, I don't know. Film is like really intimidating to me. I don't think I could ever really be a video artist. I only made one video that I liked ever. It's available on Vimeo. Oh, sweet. <laughs> um so uh so the final Creme Master that was shot, which was I think is the middle one, but it was shot in the Guggenheim Museum, you know, which has these it's a spiral, it's very it's a very visual, beautiful building and an awful place to show art. So that probably, <laughs> you know, that falls into the tradition of uh, pretty much anything Renzo Piano or Frank Gehry have, has ever done. No, but those are all awful yeah. places to look at artwork. They're beautiful. I think that's because architects realize that, first of all, they've got like a God complex like doctors. <laughs> 
They that, do. You know, they're yeah. like, like we can we control the things you live in, and then but they also know they'll never be as cool as art. So whenever they get a, <laughs> no, it's true. Like real, like real. I, I know. I think architecture is so boring. Yeah. <laughs> if you yeah. think this is going to be an architecture podcast, you're way off. <laughs> I think it would be fun, though. They always do. used to make us look at architectural plans and art history. Like, this is Monticello. It's a neoclassical mm. style. And I was like. <laughs> <laughs> is that what you were like? Yeah, that's what I was like. I always think it would be fun, though, to be an architecture critic and, like, review buildings. Like, they're like, you're on Yelp or something. <laughs> like, Blair came in. Fucking doors. Blair came in from the trib he's the architecture critic and mm-hmm. he like hates everything but i think but in a cool way like he's like us <laughs> he's like man yeah. that sucked well i that often building. i always think about well anyway so the the guggenheim great great film set really the only show that i've ever been to that actually looked good in the guggenheim was the creme master show where all the creme master shit was in the guggenheim relating to the film matthew barney saw there um so this was kind of like a big deal show and it, it was actually Interestingly, I would not have been able to see it if September 11th didn't happen (laughs) because it was scheduled to be taking place shortly thereafter. And so in the wake of September 11th and everything's changing their programming and things are being canceled and everything, um, instead of being the venue of launching the Creme Master Cycle, which, you know, was this magnum opus of uh, surrealist art ephemera and whatever um of matthew barney's it ended up being the final destination (laughs) your final destination yeah death so um so it's this big ramp that goes to the top um and like i said i mean the later films are actually really fucking cool like they look cool they're just like surrealism it's like a bunch of shit that doesn't make any sense and then if you realize it's just not about anything it's cool um that's most art, actually. Most art, yeah. So the other thing he did, uh, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm, ugh, I'm a bad storyteller. Yep. All right. <laughs> so pretend kidding. I just started this story. I mean, if you know, anyone if you were that bad of a storyteller, I wouldn't let yeah. you on my podcast. Oh. Just kidding. Yeah. It's our podcast. Okay. To be fair, I did have to explain Matthew Barney, but I stopped doing that ten minutes ago. Yep. Um. So one of the materials that Matthew Barney uses a lot is Vaseline. Um. <laughs> I feel like I already know where this is going. Um, but then again, I don't at all. No. <laughs> I've been, I've so rapt- so rapt- he melts it, it, he freezes it, he sculpts it, he puts it in stuff, he rubs it on drawings, he does all kinds of shit with it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's He's kind of a Joseph Boy's ripoff. His drawings look a lot like Joseph Boy's drawings, and he's sort of using fat. No. He's using Vaseline uh, as sort di- of old smushed dinosaurs. Yeah, he's using Vaseline as sort of like a stand-in for fat, but a lot. So, like, if you look at the aesthetic of Joseph Boys and like Matthew Barney, there's a lot of similarities. Um, was he so, fat? No, he's fucking hot. He was like oh, a yeah, J. He Crew was a male model. model. I forgot. Was Joseph uh, Boys fat? No, but he looked like a skull. What? <laughs> if you look at pictures of Joseph Boys' face, and we definitely have to put a picture, he fucking literally looked like death. God. Um, but much better artist, Joseph Boyce. Um So the Vaseline so this, was so all the, over. So like no, there was literally the Guggenheim was covered in Vaseline. And one so one of the major scenes in um uh the Creme Master shot in the in the Guggenheim, uh 
there is this little trough that runs all the way down the spiral that's, you know, like six stories tall, and they pour melted Vaseline down the spiral. Um, I'm sorry, they're like undoing me in the background there. They're like digging up information on me. It's probably a tweet where I'm like, I love Matthew Barney, just saw the film, so good. Uh, should I keep going? You guys literally oh, make me sorry. feel like I'm like a, like in a shitty classroom in which I'm trying to teach. <laughs> like a report? No, I'm trying to find your first tweet. Okay. Um, but it wasn't about Ai Weiwei. What was my first? What did he tweet about Ai Weiwei? <laughs> sorry, I shouldn't have gotten all mixed up with this. Your first tweet was, "It's a fucking rectangle. It does or does not represent any number of things." <laughs> yes. That's a pretty good first tweet. Thank you. Um, I wished that I was right, though, that it was about Ai Weiwei. Yeah. Oh, Man, well. that is like a fucking awesome first tweet. I'm really <laughs> proud of myself. I think mine was like, tweet, tweet, or like, Ugh, I joined Twitter. Let's see what this is all about. Ugh, one of those. And then your next one was like, sorry, I haven't tweeted in a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. So as I've been, so I hope this is a record of like, Eric's bad storytelling is 50% him being bad at storytelling, 50% the people listening. <laughs> um, but not you guys. We love you No, guys. we love you guys. We love our viewers. Yeah, listeners. Sorry. <laughs> this is an audio podcast for visual art. Yeah. Um, so as I was trying to say, there's this trough in the Cremaster movie uh, that runs the entire length of the central spiral of the Guggenheim museum in which a certain part uh melted vaseline inches its way down there so in the in the installation which was like i said made up of drawings and sculptures and vitrines and things covered in vaseline made of vaseline made of refrigerators with vaseline frozen to it uh there was this little trough of vaseline going all the way down a ramp (laughs) and it was actually really slippery and almost a little bit like walking on ice. There were certain parts where you were sort of like, I don't know if I can get enough traction to walk upwards on a ramp on this slightly So you slick. were supposed to walk on it? No, what? it was just there's Vaseline everywhere. It's bound to get on the floor and everything. So there was like sort of this like <sighs> Do they film. have like towels to wipe your shoes on and stuff? No, there was, there was just this sort of film of Vaseline on the ramp. Oh, God. And, um. Ew. You're just, you know, you're like, uh, and then you kind of forget about it. What did and it smell like in there? It smelled like Vaseline. <laughs> oh, gross. Um, did the Guggenheim smell like Vaseline for like six months afterwards, too? I don't know. I was, I went to England and then encountered the second story, which will be our third act. Okay. Um. So, I, you know, I was watching something or looking at something or something, and I saw this guy coming down. And it's sort of one of those where you're like, it, it was like being outside in the winter or something. So you're like, there's ice and then you kind of forget. And then you're, uh, um, but this dude slipped. No. Yes. Uh, and there was a sculpture. Um, and so one of, one of these prevalent symbols Matthew Barney has is like, it looks actually like a pad, like a maxi pad. It's a, oval with like a cross through the center of it and so the sculpture was that out of some sort of plastic another thing he really likes is self-lubricating 
vinyl or something like that. So he used to frame all his photos and stuff in this sort of self-healing. Like it's it's called self-lubricating polyethylene or something. And so if you cut it, it sort of reforms. Um, so it's this weird shape. And then there's a hole in the center that's like a cube. Um, and so it was like a sculpture made to look like it was a sculpture in progress. So like the, mm. there's a hole where there's a cube and then there are these like sort of panels around it. And then there's a perfect pristine cube of Vaseline that's like maybe six inches square. And this dude wipes out and he puts his hand out to steady himself and he plants it straight in the center oh. of the Vaseline cube. Oh my God. Of the sculpture. And falls like Buster Keaton banana peel like then, on his ass. And then like, his hands would be slippery too. So they'd yeah, be like, yeah. oh no. <laughs> couldn't get off. You guys, the Guggenheim is really spirally. So yeah. That could keep going. I mean, honestly, there was like a slickness where you're like, oh man, you could like sort of get it running and like slide down the thing. So he just, I mean, it was like perfect. And I just watched it happen. Um, and he got up and I think he was like trying, like he was freaking out and like trying to put it back together. Like, oh. like oh no, I can make like, a perfect cube with my hand. Yeah. Oh no, I got a finger for me. And more. then he was, and I don't know if. Like maybe it was his son was there or something because someone was trying to like put the the plastic panels that were part around the cube too and it was just disaster. What and if they were like, what if you what if they were able to like form it into a perfect sphere <laughs> and, no and one, then they were like, no, it's supposed to be cute. like. <laughs> um, and then it's like then a security guard came out and was like, don't worry about it, we'll get you cleaned up, and just sort of like took him by the arm. And I wonder they went if off. they had like predicted that that was going to happen. Oh, and then- oh, this is the fucking best part. Uh-huh. Like. So Matthew Barney films are full of people doing shit with Vaseline in a very ritualistic and determined way. And uh, so like a live Matthew Barney performance, this guy, one of the art preparators, uh, comes out of this small little like closet right next to it like where you didn't even know there was a door <laughs> it sounds like he's just standing in the closet with a bucket of vaseline and like a trowel or something and he's just like that's his job for the whole for the whole duration of the exhibition is just to stand in that closet in case anyone fell into this sculpture so this preparator comes out and he's holding a bucket uh he and was he has a, a trowel bucket. actually yes! and he pops open the top and he kind of scoops around it and cleans it up and like tosses it in the you know Okay, you can't see him. He plops it in the bucket, like he scoops it up like it's uh, icing. Plops it in the bucket, sticks the trowel in, you know, goos it around, mixes it together, gets, plops a couple glops down, and then freehand with the trowel remakes a perfect cube, and then puts the top back on the bucket, and then walks in the closet and closes the door. Oh my god, that's like, and that was probably the best thing. That was. (laughs) The best thing Matthew Barney ever did. <laughs> and I, uh, and I just stood there watching the whole thing. And I just like said nothing. And that I was like, well, that happened. <laughs> you wonder if that preparator was an artist. Probably most preparators are artists. Yeah. That's ama- he just made it the cube. Yeah. Like freehand. Like, I mean, really. You know how nonchalantly you described that? I wonder if it had happened before. <laughs> yeah, I wonder. <laughs> Because it wasn't when I was like, what do you do? Oh, my God. And they were just like, oh, no, that's cool. Yeah, because the guard wasn't even like, I told you not to touch that. Yeah, they're like, oh, we got, you know, uh, we, got another... we got some palm olive that'll uh, cut right through that grease. <laughs> Are you what okay? Yeah. Like... Don't worry about it. Yeah. And there was it was just like, 
It was so bizarre and amazing. That's so weird. I love it. All That's right. a good story. Okay. Act two. Act two. So um, act two, and let me find this kind of, okay. Um, act two deals with a show that I saw. Uh, I guess it wasn't last week. It was two weeks ago um, called Divisions of Labor. And we were actually talking about it because it's a show at Columbia College here in Chicago. Um, and it's about artists who are parents. We were talking about parents last week, but we were talking about the artists of parents. But what if you are an artist and you have kids? The artists <laughs> of parents. <laughs> the parents of artists. Wait a second. What? Artists' children. Artists' children. Artists, artists who have who parents. Are par- the artists children of parents. who are parents. <laughs> <laughs> children. Kids having kids. Babies oh, having babies. Yeah. Uh, you no, know, one- you know what I mean. Um, yeah, these are artists who, who have also happen to be parents. Chair- yeah, children. <laughs> artists who have parents. <laughs> little and, baby-sized parents. Yeah. Um, I thought this was kind of a good idea. You were a little bit more skeptical mm-hmm. about that as a premise. I I kind of like when artists are honest about the way that their lives shape their practice. I'm childless and single. And that shapes your practice, doesn't it? It does. You're a cat dad. That shapes oh, your practice. Oh, he's my baby. <laughs> Eric bought him a bow tie. I did. I bought Bob the cat a bow tie. Well, because I was having guests over and I wanted him to be dressed up and look really, you know. <laughs> oh, my God. You're a neat. stage parent. Yeah. Um, no, I'm one of those parents that dresses up the kids nice for certain events. So they're like, because we don't want to look like poor people. <laughs> You think rich people's cats walk around without (laughs) bow ties? No. (laughs) This is my cat butler. Fancy cat. Cat fancy. (laughs) Um, Yeah. This is my cat butler. He will be serving us dinner. (laughs) I can afford a butler. (laughs) I couldn't afford a real butler, so I hired my cat. (laughs) Be, Be honest. You would rather have a cat butler than a real butler. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, but I... A I cat uh, in a tuxedo. Oh, my God. A tuxedo cat. You know, that's a type of cat. Yeah, I know. Tuxedo Bob. Oh, yeah. Or What? No. <laughs> this is a perfect time to plug that Eric and I, like, two years ago started a Tumblr. It's called wackycatnames.tumblr.com. It has it's, nothing it's to do with this podcast. It's been updated two years ago. <laughs> I updated it this year. I added St. Vincent. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. And people still keep following it, even though we don't update it ever. It's the testament to the power of cats on the internet. Yes. Um, yeah. But this is a This show. isn't a show about cat this parents. Is not this is a, a show sh- about regular, a real, parents. regular parents who have real human children. And um, a friend of mine had a friend who was an artist in the show, and so I went to the opening. Oh, God. Nepotism. Oh, goodness. <laughs> but I wanted to go to the opening anyway. Um, because we had been curated talking. by my friend Thea Liberty Nichols. Uh, no, curated. I actually because I said, "Oh, that thing you curated." She's like, "Uh, co-curated." because uh, she's humble. Yeah, she. We met her the other day, and she was very sweet. So I apologize in advance <laughs> for what I say <laughs> for about the, this for show. the story we are about to tell. <laughs> uh, yes. So, so you're so, at the opening of this. I was exhibition. at the opening of this exhibition. I thought it was a really great exhibition. It had some good work in it. I, Eric, the reason Eric was hesitant about it was he was worried it would be all sort of focused around that theme. But it was. I don't. I don't know how to describe it. The work in it was good. It wasn't only about 
the parenthood but um a lot of uh, it it has an accompanying booklet which i really liked because i like having information but the booklet kind of did the work of explaining how the work was connected to parenthood or connected to the artist's life as a parent and the work wasn't necessarily screaming about that so i you know i thought it was good um so I, but I was glad that I went to the opening specifically, not just that I went to go see the show because there was like a ton of kids at the opening because like everyone was a parent. And Ugh, they were like, kids, they're the worst. <laughs> I like kids. <laughs> well, I feel like I've got, you know, I've got to represent a certain attitude now that I've been cast. As a, a childless. As, as the childless cat father. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, and I, I mean, I had that thought while I was there. I was like, wow, look at all these kids. And I wasn't like... Well, I wish every art opening had a bunch of kids at it. Although I, I like, um, I like when there's kids around. Sometimes I, I like when um, Bill Gross and his family went to the, um, the show at the cultural center, and there was a sign that was like, "This may have unsuitable, um, you know, work that's unsuitable for children." And then they parked the stroller right under it. <laughs> I took a picture of that. Um, it made me laugh. But it was it did kind of change the atmosphere a little bit um, with all these kids running around. And so I went around to all the different, you know, works and was checking them out. And then in this kind of back room that they had made was this installation. It's called Motherism, which I think is like a philosophy of the of this artist um, whose name I'll try to pronounce. But I feel like all it's Lisa, Lisa Haller Bagson Bagason. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, so I apologize. Um, but it's sort of, it was like this big pink room. It was very dim. And it had a, a tent inside of it. And inside the tent were all these blankets and a disco ball. And there was all these colorful streamers and everything hanging around. And um, inside the tent were the big inflatable like yoga balls, which was my favorite toy as a child. So I was already like really into it. Is that the one that has the handle on it and you straddle it and bounce? Um, yeah, but these are without a handle. You know, they're just like, you know, exercise balls. Oh, like it's, people in offices like in California are like, yeah. we replaced all our chairs with balls. Yeah. And you can just, okay, you know, you can bounce on them, but the more fun thing is to roll on them. You like get a running start and then you like roll on your stomach and you like get sent flying. This was my favorite activity as a child because we had our big backyard and I would just, you know, roll around. Um, so there was all these kids that like went in there and it was like party time straight up for these kids and they were freaking out. There was like balls bouncing everywhere and this disco ball and they were all screaming and they were playing Batman or something. It was like a bunch of little girls. It was really cute. And one mom was in there and she's like, okay, everybody use your inside voices. Let's make sure that you play nicely. Everybody has to play nicely. And these kids are like, like, ah, Batman! <laughs> <laughs> like, ripping up all the blankets and pillows and throwing them everywhere. And this mom's like, oh, my God. And, like, trying to put it out. And then eventually she's like, all right, everybody out of the tent. And kicks all the kids out. And then they all, like, almost at the same time, they're like, let's go swing. Because John Price had a swing in the exhibition. This is a swing similar to... Uh, the one he did a show at the Hyde Park Art Center last summer called The Beast, which was like a big steer that you could go inside of. It was made out of wood and parts of reclaimed uh, Chicago public schools that had been closed. And on the outside, by the garage doors that lift up at the Hyde Park Art Center was this swing. It was made out of two chairs from one of those abandoned desks. And you could swing on it in between. Well, don't the they sit on top of the desks? That's like the bottom part. 
It was the chairs. It was like those, you know, molded metal chairs that you can like sit in. Um, you know, the ones that, you know, they used to be a desk that's like attached to the chair. So it was just the chairs and then they made it into a swing that you could play on. And so he had, um, I don't think it was the same swing. I think this one had orange chairs. The other one was green. Um, but it was the same kind of mechanics. You know, he had built like this armature of wooden slats and then on the inside was the chair and this chairs and it was a swing so the kids were like <laughs> hopped up on goofballs playing inside of motherism and then they're like screaming and freaking out and they run over to the chair on john Price and they jump on it and it breaks <laughs> <laughs> it's like the chain comes off the whole thing's hanging upside down a little girl smashes her head on the ground and is it screaming dumped them onto the floor yeah dumped them onto the floor and she's like ah and then across the room, all like a wave of parents, you know, because oh everyone God. in the whole thing is parents. And they My hear, baby! They hear a screaming child, and they're like, no! And they just start running to help these kids, and they're like hugging them, and those kids are, you know, bawling. You know how kids, when they get hurt, even if it's not really bad, they're just like, I'm hurt! <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> like laughing, <laughs> taking pictures, and I was like, oh, fuck i'm an asshole but i mean i wasn't laughing laughing i was going like oh um, that's just oh dear <laughs> horrible circumstances it was just so funny to me because it was like oh yeah you know we can be parents and artists and like you can just inject you know like families and and children don't have to not you know be excluded from the gallery scene and i was like this is why <laughs> this is why art and kids don't, don't mix, mix. I don't know if I actually believe that, but it was just like, if someone wanted to make that point, yeah. this would be a perfect illustration. Well, I just, I just love that it's like a thing like, no, you, this is art you can touch and play on. And then it's like disaster. Right, that too. Okay, well, it gets even more ironic because <laughs> in John Price's essay in, uh, in the catalog, this is the explanation about the chairs when they were at the Hyde Park Art Center. Um. Totally safe for kids, 100% approved. <laughs> he says, A strong believer in the agency of kids, one of his proudest moments was the organic evolution of his artwork into a hangout spot for neighborhood teens. It was, quote, temporary respite from the de facto criminalization of adolescents by virtue of the fact that there are so few places to go where they are not considered a nuisance, a danger, or a liability. <laughs> I mean, it's it's situational irony, you guys. Yeah, I, it's, I, well, I think it's a sitcom. <laughs> I mean, I think it's really, you know, that quote is true. It's important for the South Side to have those areas. I mean, everything is, like, true. <laughs> but just when you put them all together, it was just so funny. Yeah, it's it's it says a lot. <laughs> I swear I didn't make that or sabotage it. Um, but... The end of the story is fine, too, because the children were not hurt and they were able to fix the swing. Oh, <laughs> happy ending. It's yeah. It's, and no one saw me take a picture. So no one knew. What but we're going to put I those was. online because they're fucking hilarious. <laughs> they are. Because you have the one. The one I like is the uh, the crowd of parents around the swings. And then you just see these two little kid legs like sticking out. Yeah. <laughs> just like, oh, God. Yeah. Um, okay, so tell us your last story. Okay, so uh, this now takes place in England. Um, and so I was in New York, and then I went to go live with my dad in England this one summer. 
and uh cool. yeah in oxford oh oh outside actually outside of oxford in abingdon which is in oxfordshire um but that's why i love the, the inspector oxfordshire, morris oxfordshire oxfordshire no they always say sure except for devonshire mm. it's weird there's like certain things you pronounce certain ways and then <laughs> wow it's almost like a language okay yeah cool. um so there's a a contemporary art museum that they keep switching back and forth names. But when I was there, it was called Modern Art Oxford. And that was something I think we talked in a previous show that the English call contemporary art modern art. So it's like kind of confusing. <laughs> modern, like it's happening now. Yeah. So it might, I think it was like MoMA Oxford and then it was Modern Art Oxford and it might be back to MoMA Oxford. But it's kind of a, a it's bigger than the Wren. I guess uh, there's Kunsthalles that are that big, but it's that kind of model where they don't have a permanent collection, but they do like rotating exhibitions of contemporary artists. Sorry, my mouth's getting a little dry. Drink um, something. Is there any water left? Yep. I'm going to pour it on myself. Watch this. Listen. <laughs> you didn't. You didn't make that... Well, because there's not enough water to, to wet my lips. Okay. That is way too much information. Uh-huh. Oh, Fishy the Fish has joined us. <laughs> um, so the exhibition I went to go see there was Jake and Dinos Chapman, the Chapman brothers, who are known for putting dicks on the faces of mannequins of children and giving them butthole mouths. What? Oh, fuck that. <laughs> They're part of the YBA, the Young that's, British Artists. That's like uh, a great story to follow up my story. <laughs> speaking of children. Speaking of children. Uh, that's awful. Well, they're they're kind of shock jock artists. They do a lot Ugh. of awful things. I don't like so, that. I don't um, like dick art. This, sorry. <laughs> There's enough art about dicks. Um, yeah, but this is not. Ugh. <laughs> Uh, no, you don't have to defend it to me. I know. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. We'll join us next week. <laughs> um, you should be sorry. Thank you. And I accept your apology on behalf of women everywhere and of all of history. Yeah, but some of the sculptures were of little girls. So what do you say to that? <laughs> little girls don't have dicks. That was a, that was an Onion article from a little while ago. It was like horrible freak born without a penis. <laughs> it was just a girl. <laughs> was it from the China News Daily? <laughs> That was an onion. Oh. Um, so anyway, they're, to let you know, they're, you know, sort of, they make shocking art. But it's kind of cool. It's good. They're bad boys. Uh, but they're part of the Young British Artist Movement. That was all full of offensive asshole artists like Damien <laughs> Hurst and Tracy Emin and Ugh. all those other assholes. Or, or as we say in England, arseholes. <laughs> um. So the exhibition consisted of like an installation on the top floor that had these, uh, it was like a train, oh, what the hell they call it? A caravan, a caravan, this weird kind of crazy, cra this idea of this space that this crazy person might be living in. But then downstairs they had this suite of etchings um, and they actually were beautiful watercolor painted on top of Goya etchings. Um, oh, I know about those. So what they did was actually they took 
They purchased for 30,000 pounds at the time the complete series of the disasters of war by Goya, um, a set that had been printed from the original plates, but after his death, uh, posthumously, posthumously. Um, and they made these really intricate gouache drawings of these sort of Tim Burton-esque, like, freaky clown demon people on top of them. And um, I definitely have read about those before. Yeah, they're very interesting. They're actually very beautifully done. And, like, that's one of the things I like about their work is that they do shitty juvenile things, but they do it to the level of a mature, accomplished artist. So, like, when they sat down to do this entire set, I don't know how many etchings are in the whole set, but there's quite a few. And they really stick to the bit and they really did it right and performed it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I also think there's something interesting to like buy a thing and destroy it and like sort of, but are they destroying it? They're changing it to other art. And then it's also like, well, if you sold it away, yeah, exactly. So it's like, what if, and then you wonder about value and that's like, Oh, are they, is this a horror? I mean, not that value determines it, but you're like, Oh, they were these valuable etchings, but not that valuable because it's only 30,000 pounds or sixty thousand dollars but then what is you know what value is created with them doing that um so that was the exhibition i was going to see and when i came in you know it's like a small did you go by yourself or did you bring your dad i was by myself um i can't really picture your dad wanting to go to that no well i could get him to go to that but he wouldn't know and then he'd be like this is sick eric this is sickness that's yeah that's sick um He'd be like, no, they were made posthumously. <laughs> no, he wouldn't like uh, all the weird faces and. Oh, with the dicks and stuff. Yeah, but I mean, the Goya etchings themselves are quite grotesque, you know, because they're about all these mm. horrible things that happened during the Spanish Civil War, or the Franish, Spanish War, where the French invaded. I don't know. I should learn more about the history. <laughs> um. So when I went there, uh, they have this kind of like counter that's the like gift shop area and it's also like the cafe where you can get beer and stuff and so the it was an event it was a book launch for the catalog for the show and actually to bring kids into it again the catalog is this beautifully produced book of horribly exposed pictures because they gave their like nephew a disposable camera and had him oh run around through the show God. oh i forgot you're a serious photographer fuck hipsters because i but this was in 2003 so this was like way Ahead of that. It was fucking brilliant, I think. No. no it's not? No, just because they did it before it was cool doesn't make them I think less it's of kind hipsters. Of, it makes them assholes because they produced this nice book that has, like, not one useful installation image of the artwork. Uh, yeah. I, but it's kind I of don't, fun. I don't, I don't... I mean, I think it'd be fun to have that and the regular installation images. I just don't like doing things just as a gesture and then having them not be useful. But again, I like, mean, they followed through. They produced this really nice book, and they're like, "These are the pictures we have for it." No, I don't know. It's too. It's too like, huh? Like, I don't know. Too flippant or something. I don't know. I just don't. You know, I don't see. I mean, I guess. I you know I don't see the the how the oppressive nature of making installation images. I'm sure you could find one, but well, aren't they? Well, I mean, isn't I that, mean, it's just like you were so annoyed. Whose that, face are they scoffing in? Well, you were so annoyed that Christopher Williams would spend all that time doing installation shots, so it's kind of... Yeah, well, there's, you know, there's... Uh, like. Well, now that he's not say, playing for the Bears, he has a lot more time to work on that book. <laughs> yeah, 
you know, it's like, you know, if you buy a $50 pair of shoes, it's better than a $10 pair of shoes. But if you buy a $600 pair of shoes, it's not necessarily better than a $50 pair of shoes. Well, I don't, the book wasn't that expensive. No, I'm just saying, you know, you could do a little bit better, but then you don't have to do it so much better. You just like have to do it adequately. I don't know. I don't think they thought they were getting. This as I like don't a know what the fuck you're right talking now. about because you're going in the opposite direction because they did it a lot worse. Right. So it's. And, but then shitty. they produced you it. You just nicely. have to do it enough, good enough. <laughs> That's how I'm trying no, to live I my think life. Their point, Doing things good enough. I think their point is that it's funny to give a kid a disposable camera and have them run around in front of their offensive work and take flash photos of it. I guess so. But it's anyway, it's funny. But then it's like, ha ha ha, and then what? Well, then there's the story that I'm telling. Okay. Which was at this event that was the book launch. Um, and I'm at this counter. Fuck. Now I feel totally disrailed. Derailed. You were at this counter. I went. So so what the point was, it was at an event. So it was yeah. this well-attended event. There's this counter where, you know, at one end you pay for the book or whatever you buy in the shop and then at the other end that's where they're like selling the beer and whatever else and i noticed there's like three guys leaning kind of shoulder to shoulder up there and you know watching around and i'm like well actually those are like two cops hanging out there and there's one guy in the middle and then i was like looking at something that was like in the display case that's also part of the counter and then i look over and realize like these two cops that are like leaning on the counter are arm in arm holding this guy in the middle down and he actually looks pretty scruffy and he looks like he's covered in blood. What? And then, so I'm like, I better get away. And you, you hear the radios going like, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh wait, there's some shits like down. But then I'm also like, well, but people are still like buying beer and like looking at books and stuff. And I get, I step away. And then one of the Chapman brothers comes out of the lower gallery and those dudes are huge. They're like the size of basketball players. Like they're. <laughs> did you, how did you know what they looked like ahead of time? Because they're famous artists. Because <laughs> um, I read this great book by Matthew Collings called Blimey, and it's like he's sort of the critic that was around during the time of the YBA movement, and so he sort of profiles them and other things in the history of British contemporary art, and so it has a lot of photos of them and their studios and everything. Um, but they literally towered over me, like they're maybe seven feet tall or something. Wow. They're like huge. They're giants in the art community. They are. And, um, you know, he's wearing this nice suit and he's kind of talking to someone and he's like dabbing himself and it looks like he's covered in blood, but it's like this red paint or dye. And they were basically assaulted at the opening by this guy. Like he ran up and like threw paint on them. <gasps> like and, they were wearing fur and he was peed on. <laughs> yeah. Like he attacked them and it got all over the works downstairs and the walls and everything. And uh, then I actually ended up kind of chatting with someone there. And then we became friends when I was in Oxford. And then he bought some of my work. So I can thank them. Wait, that's nothing uh, to do. Wait so wh- which works did he get paint on? Uh, I believe, although it was, they, oh, so one of the things they do is these really elaborate etchings that are like, um, uh, exquisite corpses, but they spend a lot of time on them. Mm-hmm. But it was downstairs, so I don't think they were the Goya etchings. Uh, but then it, that gallery was like taped off, so we couldn't go in there oh, at the event. Shit. And there was a lot of like kind of the guy I was talking to that I became friends with, like there was kind of this like 
rumors going around, a lot of discussion. There was this thought that he was a, a Spanish national that was protesting their their use of the Goyas. Their use of the Goyas. And then actually, because I became friends with this dude and we were hanging out, and then like a month or two later, it turned out he was a comedian. And he is known for doing things like this because then later that summer, he was arrested for sneaking into Prince Harry's fancy dress ball. Wait, the crazy guy? Yeah. Or your friend? <laughs> no, no, the crazy comedian, the, uh, the, uh, oh, the crazy bad protester, guy. the guy who does, who does, who acts like he's a protester, but then does like Stupid. comedy out of it. Um, so he broke into Prince Harry's fancy dress birthday party. So it's like a costume ball. And he broke in a dressed as he snuck in. And then they figured out he finally figured out he didn't belong in the party. But he actually the costume he was in was Osama bin Laden. What? <laughs> they didn't recognize it right away. Yeah, but they, I mean, they did. But like <laughs> then they're like, this guy doesn't belong at the party. But I mean, this is a kid throwing a party who like he dressed up as a Hitler youth once. So, yeah, I remember uh, that. So they're probably like, oh, oh it's, it's one of his friends. It's again. probably the Duke of York. <laughs> um, oh, man. So those are my I, my I mean, art that's pretty. Stories. I think the Osama bin Laden, that's pretty funny. But yeah. I don't no, think I thought that was a great art. art is funny. No, it wasn't. But then I was also like, wow, you see, this is a whole other country like where art is important enough where this guy who's just a fame whore would attack art and like <laughs> to get traction out of it. And it literally was like part of, you know, he'd been doing this before. And so he did that scheme. And then he's like, I'll be a Spanish national and protest this. And then I'm going to dress up as Osama bin Laden. And nah, nah, nah. I'm going to have a busy summer. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know what would happen if that happened here. I mean, they would just, they'd be like, I don't get it. <laughs> it wouldn't, it just wouldn't be as funny. Uh, our our uh, senior internet correspondent, Andre Kello, is just breaking in with news. The fellow's name is Aaron Barshak. The fellow, he crashed Prince William's oh. party dressed oh. at, in 2005. But Eric was right. It was Prince uh, Harry who dressed as a Nazi. Right. Oh, that's right. So that was the second time I was in England that he crashed the party. He keeps coming back. What is he going to do next? Stay tuned. The next time I'm in England. <laughs> Maybe he's just following you, and he's like, oh, I got to make that Eric guy laugh again. <laughs> it's satisfying, <Fantastic>. folks. <laughs> All right. Uh, this has been I Don't Hate This, a production of the Callow Media Empire. Follow us on Twitter at I Don't Hate This. Tumble us at I Don't Hate This Pod. Tumblr.com, maybe? Yep. <laughs> I don't know how Tumblr works. Uh, and please email your childhood traumas or your art disaster stories to us at I don't hate this at gmail.com. Thanks. The I don't hate this theme is provided by Purple Cat Jane. Thank you, Purple Cat Jane.